0: Well, okay. There's a strange guy behind this pulpit. (laughs) Hallelujah. And why are my notes upside down? (laughs) So when you're a young minister, your cry is like, Oh God, what do I say? I need something to say. When you become an older preacher, it's like, Oh God! What don't I say? <laughs> and I had that dilemma coming here. I, I can't tell you I did. Um, I was just—I had a whole bunch of stuff bouncing around in my brain, my minuscule mind. And uh, thankfully, I got to talk with uh, Luke and Brother Aaron, and we were kind of talking about things like, okay, what does this church need, and stuff like this. And so. We settled on the battle. Can we say that? The battle. So if this message is good, it was my idea. If it's bad, look no further than Luke and Aaron. I don't know where Aaron's at, but he's over there somewhere. So I'm just, you know, weighing my options here. (laughs) All right, I want to start with this quote, brothers and sisters. It's by Dr. Augustus Neander. It's in Memorials of the Christian Life. Memorials of a Christian Life. And he's going to discuss this battle. Now, how many besides me, when you signed up to follow the Lord, you you did not sign up for a battle? How how many besides me? Pastor Joe, I'm going to write this great book what the preacher never told me. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't know about you. When I got saved, you know, the, the greens were greener. The blues were bluer. And, you know, and like I, I can actually see plants in the universe. And it's like God's glory in creation. And man, I was just floating on air. It wasn't soon after that I discovered, Hey, there's somebody out there that doesn't like me very much. And i got to tell you, brothers and sisters, a lot of us sign up to follow the Lord because we want to be blessed. You know, we want to be better wives and mothers and husbands and fathers. Oh, this is a great thing as my thing's falling apart over here. How many know it's also great we're not going to go to hell when we die. Amen. That That's a good reason to sign up for this outfit. Amen. <laughs> I mean, you know, self-preservation is a mighty motivation. Amen. Truly is. But again, nobody told me that when I signed up to follow Jesus Christ, I was being enlisted as a good soldier of a king. And so, even the whole battle language, the whole battle imagery in the Scriptures, a lot of it is missing upon the modern day church. It's gotten so bad that some denominations literally are pulling onward Christian soldier from the hymnal. I don't know what that is. I don't know what Bible they're reading. But clearly, when we're going to follow the Lord and we're going to serve Him, there is a conflict and there is a confrontation. Mark it down. The battle first begins with us, within us. We still have to struggle with that old man, that new man. Amen. How many know there's a battle raging just within us? And that battle rages from without. And so here's this quote. As the whole life of the Christian from beginning to the end is conflict with the world and the powers of darkness. A conflict within and without. The kingdom of God in this world must appear militant. The kingdom of God in this world must appear militant. How many know theologians and scholars in ages past, if you were alive on this earth, if you were a born again child of God, how many know you were designated the church militant? The church militant. I don't know what we are today. This thing, do you have a regular, regular mic? This thing's just coming off on me. Um, anyway, I'll just, whatever, I'll hold on to it. This is coming off my ear. Now it's permanently embedded. (laughs) It will never come off. So, church militant. When we die, what do we graduate to? The church triumphant the church triumphant. This has been the designation for Christianity for 2,000 years. Somehow that's been lost on the modern day American church. And there's a reason for it. He, He goes into this. And it says we must make our way by conflict so that often in Holy Writ, the calling of the Christian is compared to that of the military life. When you look at the Apostle Paul in Timothy, he talks about Christianity and he uses three examples of what true Christianity is like. He uses the life of an athlete, the life of a farmer, and the life of the soldier. You know what they all three have in common? These are not easy professions. They're hard. It's hard. You ever, I, I, in Texas, I know farmers. These dudes unbelievable every farmer has like massive forearms like massive forearms from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed in the blazing sun they are working that land it is not an easy life the life of an athlete you think you could sit on your couch eating bomb bombs and dream in your mind you're going to win a gold medal at the olympics no, you there's a lot of denial, there is a lot of practice, there's a lot of, you know, uh, strenuous activity to achieve the rewards of an athlete. And the Bible talks about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, "Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ." I mean, these are these are not easy things he's talking about. These are very difficult things he is talking about. Why? Because the early church knew by the circumstances they were engaged in a battle. And I am definitely losing this thing. That's it. You're done. I'm holding you. All right, we tried, Pastor Joe. Even the tape wouldn't work. He says this, was, this image was very clear and familiar to the first Christians. Though Christians in later ages may have been led to forget the nature of their calling as one of conflict, I mean, know oh, the American Church has lost that, and you know why we've lost that. He explains in the midst of external tranquility and prosperity. So, in other words, when you prosper as a people and things go your way, and you got all kinds of safety nets. To prop you up? Guess the last thing you're thinking about as a Christian? Battle. Warfare. Why? Because, dude, I'm at comfort and I'm at ease. What's all this warfare business? That ain't my experience. It's not my experience. And i, I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, understand, we, we, we deal with a very cunning enemy See, we haven't gotten overt persecution yet, yet, a little bit in the United States of America. How many know there are Christians in other nations that are literally being flogged, beaten, jailed and martyred today? So how how is the enemy destroying the church here in the United States of America? He's got us down from the cross and he placed us in a couch and it's our luxury, our comfort and ease that is destroying the witness of Christianity in the United States of America because we've lost the understanding of the battle. This is a conflict. This is a confrontation between good and evil, light and darkness, heaven and hell. It rages first within us and it rages from Without. We have to understand that brothers and sisters. It says yet in primitive times. Their entire outward condition. Served to remind them. Of the spiritual warfare. Understand the early church back then. They were under two. Huge tyrants. They were being religiously. Persecuted by Judaism. And they were being civilly. Persecuted by the Roman beast. You didn't have. You didn't have to go to church and say, hey, church, I want to preach this message on a battle. They knew they were in a battle. Everything around screamed to them, we are in a major war, a major battle, a major conflict, a major confrontation. Everywhere they went, they knew that was the reality. How many of us still believe that today? Or even understand that reality today. You know, our colonial fathers, we had some preachers, the Mather brothers. How many have ever heard of them? Do you know, even back then, when we first started this nation, that was their warning. They warned America, the blessing of God will become the curse of God. They said the daughter will devour the mother. In other words, the blessing of God will become the curse of God. It's the same thing that God warned Israel. Remember? He says, when you come into the land, you're going to drink from wells you didn't dig. You're going to, you know, live in houses you didn't build. You're going to drink from wells. You're going to, you're going to eat vineyards that you didn't plant. And he says, when you come to that place, do not forget me and don't you dare think it came from your hand. He said, remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth. Amen? And I'm afraid America has committed that same national sin. And that's where the blessing of God can become the curse of God if we don't handle these things correctly, amen? And so he says, for the church found itself on all sides in conflict with the heathen world and the public profession made by Christians compelled them to take the share in this conflict. They considered themselves soldiers of God against the hostile powers of darkness, against everything which appeared to them as belonging to the kingdom of Satan, against the service of sin and of false gods. So they understood, once they crossed that line of obedience to follow Jesus Christ, this battle is on. I, I remember when I served in the Hunter First Airborne. We'd always sing this song, you know, ain't no use in looking down, because there ain't no discharge on the ground. No, you signed up for war, buddy, and you're going to be a good soldier. We have to understand that, brothers and sisters. So I want to start now with the origin of the battle. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the origin of the battle. You all know the creation account. You all know the tempter came and seduced our first parents. We went for it, committed high treason, and great was the fall. Thank the Lord he didn't leave us in that state. And so one of the first thing he does, and this is the first mention of the gospel of the kingdom, this is the first mention of the champion God is going to raise up, the Messiah, the promised one who is going to rescue us from this fallen world, our sinful nature, Satan, his demons, and this illegitimate world system. God gave us a promise, and I want you to listen to this. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let me ask you a question, church. Who started this battle? Who started it? Who instigated it? Thank you. The devil, Satan, he instigated the battle. And understand this, brothers and sisters. The first sin was not here on earth. The first sin was in the heavenlies. Amen? And God took that lawbreaker, the rebellious one, and he cast him here on the earth. Do you not find it strange that God put innocent man... In the same neighborhood with this brutal, bloodthirsty maniac? Boy, I've struggled with that. Oh, I've struggled with that, especially as a dad. That war that was raging in the heavens has been cast down here. And that battle has been recorded in the pages of redemptive history and the word of God. And believe me when I tell you, it is manifest here today. It was the enemy who instigated this battle. But what I want you to see, it was God almighty that declared war. I was talking about yesterday how we've. We sort of emphasize certain attributes above and beyond other attributes of God. And the same is true here. How many love the depiction of the Lord as our great shepherd holding sheep? How many love that depiction? You should, because that's true. But understand, brothers and sisters, the Bible also presents the Lord as a man of war. A man of war. The Bible says he has weapons. The Bible says he will shoot those weapons at his enemies, take them on, and take them down. The Bible presents the Lord this way. Does the modern day church? Do we? got to think about it. Because I don't care what we're going through right now, brothers and sisters. I don't care what the headlines say. I don't care how many insane people are running the asylum. I'm going to tell you right now. God in redemptive history always does this time and time again. He arises to judge his enemies, bring them down, and he always rescues his people. You can mark it down. Why? Because the Lord is a man of war. Again, not a not a, not a depi- depiction we want to like spread around. But the Bible declares it. This is the origin of the battle, and obviously, it's between two seeds. It's going to manifest it. It's just not between the Lord and the devil. It's between two seeds, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. And how do we know the difference between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent? It's very, very easy. What's the seed of the serpent? You've heard it. My rights, my body, my choice. I do what I want to do whenever I want to do it, and I'll do it whatever whom I ever want to do it with. And you have nothing to say about me. All right? They're, 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 they have two commandments. Do what you will, and thou shalt not get in my face. You will not judge me. That's the seed of the serpent. What's the seed of the woman? Not my will, but thine be done. That's how you know the difference between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And you got to determine what seed you're of. Critically important for your life here in the age to come. To know what camp you're in. Critically important. Amen. The last thing I want to say about this. Notice the language. When he talks about the bruised heel, what is is the Bible describing here in the New Testament? What is it describing? Who said that? Awesome. You win a cookie. (laughs) Let me ask you something. Anybody see The Passion by Mel Gibson? Anybody see that? It's brutal. I was crying when the credits were going up. I was already freaked out. I was already freaked out. Because I knew it was going to be graphic. Really, really graphic. And that doesn't even capture what our Lord went through. Would you, in your right mind, compare? the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as a boo-boo on your heel? Did you do that? Like, we get the word excruciating from the cross, excruciating. And if you were to describe that, if you were talking to somebody and, and try to describe crucifixion, would you use the language, oh, he's got a bruised heel. That's the language God uses. And you want to know how thorough the victory of Jesus Christ in this battle is? He is going to crush your head. So crucifixion is is just a a bruised heel how much more the victory of Jesus Christ. Listen to the language. Bruised crush crush and i loved it in the passion when he is in the garden and he is like freaking out and he's blood and and he and he's praying and nobody's there and he's all alone and they see this snake man you see this snake and it's just crawling it's crawling near him and then it gets on him and i am freaking out That snake is just right there and it's like he's oblivious to the snake And then he just stands up and he sets his eyes like flint towards Jerusalem. And BAM! Man, he crushed that snake. The battle was won, brothers and sisters. The battle was won. Amen? So this is the origin of the battle. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 17. And I want to look at the two issues that describe the nature of the battle. We know we're in a battle, but what are the battle fronts? What is this battle all about? We got the ori- origins. Now, what are we dealing with? What battlefield are we on? What constitutes the battle? You find it in Acts chapter 17. And by the way, this was an accusation. This wasn't a compliment by the world in Acts chapter 17. This is the accusation of the world against the early Christians. This was not a compliment. It says in verse 5, but the Jews who were not Persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Pastor Joe, Luke and Aaron (laughs) out of the church, dragged Jason and some brethren to the ruler's Of the city crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And now pay attention to these words. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying, There is another king, one Jesus. This is during the Roman occupation of Israel. Caesar was the artificial counterfeit God man in the earth. When Caesar conquered all the lands, all the nations, you had religious freedom under Caesar. You could worship any god you wanted to. You could keep your temples. You could keep your idols. But when you stepped out of that temple, you were commanded to do two things. You needed to bow your knee and you needed to confess with your mouth Caesar is curios. Caesar is Lord. Understand that. So when Christians came along, they Rome was not threatened religiously by Christians. They were threatened politically. Why? Because Christians were, was talking of another curios, another Lord, another King, and we gotta understand that's why they ended up crucifying Jesus Christ. Remember, Pilate didn't want to do that. I mean, that's your, your your religious games. That's your religious laws. Get, Get that stuff away from me. I'm just the Roman governor, man. I don't want to hear your crap. Get that, get it over there. And they're going, well, no, 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 he's really dangerous. I'm telling you, he's really dangerous. Not just to us, but he's a danger to Rome. Well, how is he a danger to Rome? He's saying he's a king. Whoa, What? What? what did no, what, he say? He said he's what, a king? Oh, well, maybe we might have a problem. We might have a problem with that. Because we got this emperor over in Rome who thinks he's king, thinks he's lord. So you have to understand, brothers and sisters, the early church did not die, did not go to the Colosseum, were not thrown in pits and animals eat them alive because they went around saying, Jesus loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not why they died. They died because they would not worship the counterfeit God-man that humanism had set up because the true king, the true God-man, the true Lord had come to this earth. So they said, there is another king. And listen, and this king is teaching us things contrary to the decrees of Caesar. So what's this battle all about? Two things. Listen. Who is Lord? Caesar or Jesus Christ? Who is Lord in this planet? Caesar or Jesus Christ? Secondarily, whose laws are to govern in the affairs of men? Caesar or King Jesus? Do you think our... This nation gives a rip that we're meeting in this place right now singing songs of Jesus. They don't care. Don't bother them. You go out into this culture of death, this pagan culture of death, and you go to the powers that be, there's another king, one called Jesus. I mean, no, that's when the battle starts to rage. That's when it rages, brothers and sisters. It was the same back then. It is still true here today. Who is Lord, Caesar or Christ? Whose laws are going to govern the affairs of men? And understand, for for, for 2,000 years of Western civilization, Christianity impacted law and government. And here, here, here was the truth. Scholar after scholar, father after father, martyr after martyr, reformer after reformer, would say this. Any human law that contradicts or disobeys or ignores God's law is no law at all. That's how we got Western civilization. That's how we got our freedoms, all our liberties. That's how we got America. Because we believe that. And so for 2000 years, if the state commanded us to do, you know, something that God commanded us to do or vice versa, we were to obey God rather than men. And how many know that's not just a blessing for the church? That's the blessing for the pagan world. Understand that. When there's tyranny afoot. And. Magistrates rebel against their king. And by the way, just so you understand, Jesus is not just Lord of the church. He is king of the state. He has ordained them. He has appointed them. And they owe the duty of their discharge to their king. And they will be held accountable. Believe me when I tell you. So what happens when the minister of God becomes a dupe of the devil? What happens when they go from protecting our life, liberty, and property and actually become the plunders of these things? Do you understand what time in history you're at? Do you understand the season that we're in? How many's read about the, you know, we, we, are, we read about, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, Daniel in the lion's den and the apostles. They obeyed God rather than men. Do you understand it's our turn now? Do you understand that we're in that part of history? It's our turn now. It truly is, brothers and sisters, because right now we are living off the fumes of freedom and liberty that our forefathers and foremothers paid a heavy price to bestow upon us. It is being squandered under our watch, and I am telling you, if we want a future for our children and grandchildren, we have to follow in their footsteps. We just got to get over it. We just got to get over it. Listen, there's two things you've got to get over if you're going to be successful in this battle. You've got to get over the suffering issue and you've got to get over the death issue. just got to get over it. You really do. You've got to settle that, brothers and sisters. You've got to settle that. You've got to trust the Lord with that. Amen? But this is the battle. Who is Lord? Caesar or Jesus Christ? Whose laws? God says thou shalt not murder. The American government says No, we are going to murder. In fact, we're going to murder the most innocent and defenseless amongst you. Do you understand how much we've been conditioned by this wicked, wicked beast in Washington, D.C.? Do you understand how much the church's mind has been corrupted by the laws of this land? Do you realize how much we've been conditioned? Now, nobody's come to us with a gun to our head and said, all right, like in Rome. Because if you're going to survive in Rome, you've got to renounce this Jesus Christ. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you in that pit. See, nobody has come from the beast yet, put a gun to our head, said, all right, American Christian, renounce Christ, and you can have all your goodies. You can still have your goodies. You can still have your comfort. You can still have your ease. Just renounce Christ. I mean, no, we're not there yet. We keep going in this direction. We can find ourselves there. I can promise you that. But you know what they did do? Listen to me. You know what they did do? All right, Christians, we know that you believe man is made in the image of God. You believe life is sacred. And you. we also know you, Christians, believe in the Ten Commandments. And one of them says, thou shall not murder. But you know what, Christian? We don't give a rip about what your God says. Because in this nation, we are going to murder children. And we got conditioned to this. Now think about this. Stay with me, brothers and sisters. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm not, I'm not angry with you. But I want you to stay with me on this. We had a Supreme Court that said it's now legal for one group of human beings to murder another group of human beings. And what did we do? What, how did the church respond to this? How did magistrates respond to this? How did governors, sheriffs, lesser magistrates, how did they respond to this insanity? We bowed down. We kissed the ring. The Supreme Court ruled and all we can do is obey. Do you know what God thinks when we, the church, elevate? the law of man over against the law of God. Do you know what God calls that? It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. We have been conditioned. Ogrefell, right? The decision of Ogrefell. We know you're Christians. You believe in the sanctity of marriage. You believe that marriage is only between A man and a woman. We know that you hold to that sacred belief. But in our land, a man is going to marry a man. And a woman is going to marry a woman. And it's going to get so bad, you're going to raise a generation that doesn't even know the difference between a boy and a girl. You don't think we've been conditioned? I've been raised in this land. I'm guilty too. Hear me when I say that. There may not have been a gun to our head and say, deny Christ. But there has been a gun to our head and say, deny that man is made in the image of God. Deny thou shalt not murder. Deny that marriage is is between a man and a woman. You must deny this now. And this has been forced on us, brothers and sisters. And because the church, we've we've lost this understanding of the battle, the conflict. We have not stood up. We have not spoken out as we should. We've just kind of passively gone along with this thing. All I can tell you, that is not the Christianity God established in that book. It's not. It's just not. So, brothers and sisters, we got to understand the nature of this battle. And it really does come down to those two issues. I'm going to conclude in Revelations chapter 12. Y'all still with me, sort of, kind of? So I got half the church going, yeah, go on. And the other half is like, kill him. How many know God has called us to overcome? So when when God tells you to overcome, what does that denote? If if he's, if he's telling us, all right, overcome, be more than conquerors, always triumph. What 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 is being assumed by that statement? Was that, ma'am? There's a problem. <laughs> yes, there is a problem. And I look at him in the mirror every day. It's you, you mug. No, there's a problem. There's obstacles. There, there are struggles. There's there's conflict. There's confrontation. There's, It's just the way of life, brothers and sisters. And God expects us to overcome. So I want you to listen to this. I love... Chapter 12 of the book of Revelation is probably one of my favorite chapters. But this is how they overcame in heaven. And remember, there's no evil one in, in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's no abominations in heaven. There's no demons in heaven. How many know all that's here, down here, where we're at? Okay, but God has given us a threefold plan how to emerge victorious in this battle. And he says it right here, verse eleven. And they overcame him, speaking about this dragon, the great serpent that's been cast down to the earth. And by the way, in Revelations chapter 12, when the battle is raging the most, that's where God puts his sword in the ground, unfurls his banner and says, now is the kingdom of Christ. Now is the salvation of God right at the height of the battle. And brothers and sisters, we need to follow in that, in that train. Amen. We got to put the sword of the Lord in the ground and unfurl his banner. King of kings and Lord of lords. And understand, brothers and sisters, he's not just the king of pastors and the Lord of bishops. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. I was telling somebody yesterday, there's only a couple of times where he has an ecclesiastical title. Like, the great shepherd or the bishop of our souls. Do you understand almost every single one of the Lord's titles are political in nature? King, Lord, ruler, governor of the nation. These are all political titles. And then the church has the nerve to think God doesn't want us to be involved in politics. He's not concerned how people govern their lives or run their lives. Brothers and sisters, when you study the the whole of Scripture, how much time does God spend on the afterlife? Seriously. I've I've read that book from cover to cover 30 years straight. He is very tight-lipped when it comes to the afterlife. And most of the time when he talked about it, he talked more about hell than he did heaven. Do you understand like 90... I don't know what, 98... 99% 99% of the Bible is how man is supposed to live on this earth. How we're to govern our affairs on this earth. Think about that. Most Christians were our heads are in a great pie in the sky kind of thing. In the scriptures, I am telling you, that's not the emphasis of God. The emphasis of God is not on the afterlife. The emphasis of God is how you live in his world. How many know the church doesn't have that? We We don't have that emphasis no more. All we want to do is get people saved, stack them up at a spiritual bus stop, waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us and rapture us from responsibility. What in the world? What's happened? But he says here, this is how we overcome. Everybody say the first thing. We overcome by what? The blood of the lamb. Please hear me on this, brothers and sisters. If you're not saved. If you are not born again. If the spirit of God does not dwell in you. If your name is not written in the lamb's book of life. You are already dead on this battlefield. You're already dead. You don't even begin to fight. You don't even begin to matter in this battle until you have been washed in the blood of the lamb. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So you literally have to be washed in the blood in order to be birthed into this battle. You must be saved. And that's the language of Scripture, by the way. He says, you must be born again. There's only one name given from heaven whereby men must be saved. You must be saved. It's imperative. If not, you're already a casual casualty on this battlefield you're 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 just a walking dead, you're walking you're a walking dead man, you're a walking dead woman. God has to make you alive by the washing of the blood of the lamb. You come alive, and what does he give you? The armor of God well, why pray tell, would you give me armor? <laughs> why don't you just give me a harp and get me a cloud somewhere you <laughs> I played a mean uh, ear harp <laughs> when I was a kid. You know what I mean? I was a rock star in my mind. But we have to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then he says what? What's the second thing? What's the, what's the second thing that must happen? The word of our testimony. And I, I honestly believe, brothers and sisters, that could be taken Two ways. How many besides me you have a personal testimony? And how many know it's very ar- hard to argue with a personal testimony? People can debate theology and doctrine all they want. Let me ask you, that that young man that Jesus healed when he was blind, was that young man a great theologian? Did he know all the great doctrines of the church? Did he? No, the Pharisees were condemning because he didn't know it. But what did he know? I may not all know all this theology. I may not know all this doctrine. All I know, before I met him, I was blind. And after I met him, I can see. I can see. And none of you Pharisees. None of you religious leaders, I've been going to your church day in, day out for decades. Not a single one of you opened my eyes. Taught me a lot of good theology, a lot of doctrine. Still blind. Still blind. The word of our testimony, it's powerful stuff, brothers and sisters. And the way that you enhance that word of your testimony, is to live out what you know is true. Amen. That's powerful. The Bible says we are epistles written by God. We are living epistles of Christ to be read of all men. The word of our testimony. And I believe secondary, the word of our testimony, brothers and sisters, is the word of God. That is the word of our testimony. Amen. When the enemy went up a- when the Lord got led into the wilderness to fight the battle, amen. How did our Lord respond to that challenge? It is written. Our Lord unsheathed the sword of the Spirit and said, it is written. That's the offensive weapon that Christ has given to his church. And we gotta unsheath it, brothers and sisters. And we gotta wage a good warfare. The word of our testimony, and what's the last part of Re- Revelations twelve eleven? And by the way, most preachers I know leave that out. What's the last? Have you ever heard that, Pastor Joe? You ever hear a priest and they leave that last part out? There's a clue to that, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you, son. What's the last part say? So, what kind of virtue is needed and necessary if we're going to overcome in this battle? What would you call that? Loving not your life so much as to shrink back from death. What would we call that? Self denial. How about courage? How about courage? How many? You know, I, I've raised thirteen kids, and they're great at telling partial truths. Like by the way, you're a young parent you 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 don't really become a parent until you have two or three because when you got one, you know who did it, who did it. you know you start getting two or three, it's like, okay, who did it, who did it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and it's like, and they tell, ah Right? And, and here's the thing. What they tell me is the truth about them, but they don't tell me the whole truth. And you know what happens when you do that? It leaves a wrong impression in our minds. The same thing can happen with the Word of God. I once preached the message, complete the thought and finish the sentence. Kind of important if we're going to get the true meaning that God intends. Amen. So he says, we overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony and not loving our life so much as the shrink from death. So this is what C.S. Lewis said about courage, brothers and sisters. Please listen to this quote. He said, courage is not simply one of the virtues but the form of every virtue at the testing point. I'll say that again. Very important quote. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. How many besides me, when you look at the Christian life, that you believe with me it's absolutely impossible? Think about it, seriously. The things the Lord told us to do and be, you got the wrong people. Seriously. Like some guy, some lady today, I was at a hotel, she found out I was a preacher. She goes, You're a preacher? Yeah, I tried to convince him. You got the wrong guy! I'm telling you, you got the wrong guy! I'm not a religious goody goody guy. Seriously, you got the wrong guy! And God went, <laughs> Are you right in your head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but seriously, brothers and sisters. You no. Know, if there's a virtue. Desperately needed in the church of Jesus Christ today. It's called courage. Courage. So critically important. You, like I said, you think about all the things that the Lord's told us to be and to do. And we look at it. It's like it's impossible. I'm not you, Lord. I'm not perfect. And yet you want me to be perfect. So all these things that he says we're supposed to be saying and doing and being, it takes courage to look at all those different virtues. It is the testing point whether we're going to obey or disobey. We need courage. Brothers and sisters, so critically important. Amen? All right, so I'll finish with this. Where do we find this courage? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Where do we find this courage? Was that Christ who said, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. You shall be my witnesses. Starting here in Judea, spreading to the othermost parts of the earth. Brothers and sisters, understand this. Jesus knows this battle because ultimately it belongs to him. And he knew this. The same powers of darkness that went after him and crucified him, he knew that was awaiting for his people. Understand that. He knew those same powers of darkness was going to persecute his people. So when he says, I'm giving you power from on high to be my witnesses, does anybody know what that word witness means? Thank you. We said that. We better get a lot of cookies in here. (laughs) He's going to get the chicken. I better close up. But think about that, brothers and sisters. I'm going to give you power from on high to be my martyr. That's the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And how does that translate to you and I today, brothers and sisters? I want you to consider this. Because we, we see the times we're in. We see the danger. The threat that is happening in our age. How do we respond to these challenges? Well, we follow the example of those who have gone before us. So in other words, brothers and sisters, if we're challenged between our stuff and our faith, if it comes to that, what do we choose? the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is going to rise up and He's going to help you to choose your faith. God forbid, and I've done a lot of prison ministry rescuing babies. Gone to jail over 50 times in this battle. Got my prison ministry. I always wanted. And i got to tell you something, brothers and sisters, when we... When you're looking at your freedom being taken away and you have to choose between your freedom or going to jail. And I'm not talking about going for jail as a criminal. I'm talking about going to jail for being a Christian. If it comes to that, you have the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to rise up on the inside of you and you will choose your faith. And God forbid, if it ever comes to the point where we got to give our last ounce of devotion, where we have to choose between our life or our faith. I'm going to tell you, I have been beaten in this battle. I have shed blood in this battle. People tried to kill me, murder me. And every time that happened, I'm going to tell you, something rose up on the inside of me. Most of the time, I didn't even feel the abuse. But you know what It was like? I was like enveloped. I was like enveloped in the presence of God. And I had no hatred towards them. I had no idea of vengeance. And I was raised a street fighter in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Are you kidding me? Seriously, if I thought you were threatening me, you were bringing danger, I would go nuclear. Nuclear! Seriously, don't even think about, like, don't even go there. And yet, when it happened as a Christian, I didn't feel hate. I didn't feel anger. I was enveloped in the love of Christ. And I was was able to love and forgive my persecutors like our Lord who went before us. Brothers and sisters, this is how we overcome in this battle. Amen? But glory, the words of Rusty Thomas are finished.